One of those Mondays. One of those, one of those Mondays. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think some of us have had one of those Mondays, but it's good to be here in church tonight, and uh, I am honored that you'd come this evening. It's, it's a privilege to be with you this week. Thank you, Pastor Hassel, for inviting me to come, and uh, the first time you had really no choice to ask me to come. There was really no other option out there, and, uh, but I was, I was glad to be a part of that, and uh, thankful that uh, when, when, when you first called me and asked me to come to this, to this meeting, my first question was, so who canceled? You know, that was kind of, that was my first question, but that actually wasn't the case. No one had canceled. He just asked, he was asking me to come. And so I felt honored by that. And uh, I thank you, Pastor uh, Hassel, for inviting me. I sure appreciate you, your wife, and your family, and your testimony of faithfulness. And uh, uh, I, hope you're, I hope you're thankful for your pastor. And uh, um, uh, this is a good one here, all right? So uh, let's take our Bibles tonight and uh, go to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14, and uh, thank you for those of us that joined us for pizza. If you missed out on pizza, I'm sorry. You're going to have to come tomorrow and get a hot dog and hamburger, am I correct? Hot dog and hamburgers tomorrow night, and uh, we'll have a good time fellowshipping and then uh, being here for the preaching again and the service. And uh, my heart's just been encouraged to uh, be here this week and uh, been encouraged by the services so far. Matthew chapter number 14, and I want to pick up the story in verse number 25. Matthew chapter number 14, verse number 25. It says, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. I've got two boys. I've mentioned uh, this already, but Mason's five, Logan's two, and they are learning finally to play together. You know, uh, up until this point, it has been Mason builds and Logan destroys. That's kind of what it's been up to this point. But they are learning to get along, learning to find some things that they like to do together. And one of the things that Mason and Logan like to do is they like to try to make each other laugh. And what I mean by that is Mason likes to try to make Logan laugh. And and Mason's pretty good at it. Logan's not an easy laugh. Like Logan just doesn't just laugh at anybody. But, But Mason's pretty good at getting Logan to laugh. And the reason is because Mason will go to great harm to get him to laugh. Like he'll run full speed into a wall, he'll hit him with He'll hit himself in that with a hammer. Like he will, he will put himself through great pain to get Logan to laugh. And when Mason succeeds, I mean, Logan just is cracking up and Mason succeeded. And so Mason just loves that. He starts laughing like I did it. And then Mason's laugh is a little bit contagious. And so Logan then is, is laughing because Mason's laughing. And so it's not uncommon at all for us to be driving down the road or for us to be back at our house and for us to just hear laughter going on in the back or up in the 
their rooms. And so uh, it was uh, during the uh, shutdowns and we were all at home and I was downstairs kind of rela- relaxing. My wife was upstairs probably doing some work and the boys were laughing in their bedroom and suddenly the laughter turned to screaming. I mean, Logan just started screaming. But it wasn't like a scream as in I'm in pain. It was a scream as in like I'm terrified right now. Like I don't know how to explain it. It was just kind of like, ah, you know, and, and I never heard that scream before, you know. And so I get out from the couch. I'm trying to make my way up the stairs. And my wife, who's closer to the action than I am, gets there first. And so I'm halfway up the stairs and I hear my wife scolding Mason, you know. I mean, scolding's probably a little harsh, but she was, she was talking to Mason, you know. And she said, well, don't do that. He doesn't like that. Stop doing that. Knock it off, you know. And she comes out of the room, and I said, uh, so what was he doing? She said, well, you got to watch the video. You know, she had recorded it before she had corrected it, you know. And so she showed me this video, and Mason, in an, or, in an effort to get Logan to laugh, had put on this dinosaur mask that we had bought for a youth activity, and it kind of opened, it had sharp teeth. And Logan was coming out of the closet, or Mason was coming out of the closet with this dinosaur mask on, and he was going, hello there, Logan, you know, the mouth moving, you know. And Mason thought it would be funny, but Logan was terrified, you know. Little did Mason know that Logan had a phobia of prehistoric creatures. I mean, he's just terrified of them. You know, we live in a very fear-driven world, don't we? Fear is around everyone's corner. The boogeyman lives in everyone's bedroom, and the nightmares are in everyone's closets. We live in a very fear-driven world. And for the most part, we don't mind talking about our fears. In fact, uh, there's a website called phobia.net, and uh, they logged last year alone 30,000 new phobias. 30,000 new phobias. Yeah, uh, my favorite of all of them was uh, COVID-19 phobia. That's the fear of contracting coronavirus-19. Another one that they added last year was phobia-phobia. Yeah, that's the fear of becoming afraid of more things. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole website's just kind of full with that. Like, just these obscure things that you're like, people are afraid of that, you know? And for the most part, we don't, we don't mind talking about our fears. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid of that. In fact, let's just do this tonight. I don't think anyone will mind. How many of you have um, acrophobia? You are, uh, no, uh, 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 yeah, acrophobia. You're afraid of heights. You are afraid of heights, Yes. My wife's hand should be raised here. How many of you have um, arachnophobia? You're afraid of spiders. Yes, I'm terrified of spiders. My wife kills all the spiders in our house. Yes, uh, terrified. How many of you have penthrophobia? Penthrophobia. That's the fear of your mother-in-law. Any, anybody else like me in here? Fear of your mother-in-law? Yeah, absolutely. I'm terrified of that woman. Have you met her? Man, she's scary. Yeah. Man, we've got all sorts of fears. We don't mind talking about them. We don't mind saying, oh yeah, I'm afraid of that. But have you ever thought about the fact that there's a whole nother list of fears that we don't like to talk about? Like, how about this one? The fear of rejection. Or the fear of failure. The fear of coming up short. Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. I know we all struggle with it. Because if we're honest, none of us enjoy failure. None of us enjoy to feel as if we are inadequate or not enough. And yet I like what William A. Ward said. He's not a theologian. He's not a pastor. He's just a business guy, to be honest with you. But, but, but he says this. He says, failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. It ought to be a delay, not a dead-end street. Because the truth is, you will always pass by failure on your way to success. 
And the truth is, too many of us have let failure define us. And here in this passage of Scripture, we read the disciples are afraid. Now, before we get on the disciples for being afraid here, let's just kind of put ourselves in their shoes. It's 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. by my calculations, the fourth watch of the night. They are sailing across the Sea of Galilee, probably in the pitch dark, and they see a spirit walking on the water. Yeah, I'd be afraid to, you know. And it's Jesus, and I love this because this is the nature of Jesus. Jesus instantly calms their fear. He says, hey, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And it's Peter. It would be Peter to think of this. Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth, seeing if it fits, you know. He says, Lord, if that be you, bid me come unto thee on the water. In other words, he says, "Uh, can I do that? That looks really fun. I'd like to walk on the water too. And Jesus says, come. Aren't you glad the Lord delights in our stupidity sometimes? He says, yeah, Peter, come on out. Water's nice. And the Bible says that when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. And picture that. He's walking on the water. He defies human ability. He defies uh, uh, physics. He walks on the water. He does the impossible. He does what nobody's done before, what no one's ever going to do again without God's help. He walks on the water. And yet when most of us talk about this passage of Scripture, we refer to Peter as this massive failure. Like, oh, Peter. (sighs) Silly old Peter thought he could walk on water. Oh, Peter, what were you thinking, man? Peter, you can't walk on the water. Of course you sunk, Peter. And Peter's just this failure in our eyes. But I gotta be honest with you, church, I don't see failure in this passage of Scripture. I see fight. I see someone who's not afraid of the potential of failure, who's not afraid to step out of his comfort zone, who's not afraid to get his feet wet, pun intended, who's not afraid to do some things that would be risky and scary if that meant getting closer to Jesus. And I wonder tonight, is there anybody in the room tonight that would have that kind of fight when it came to their walk with God? When it comes to getting closer to God, is there any fight in us to get closer to Him? Or are we just comfortable sitting in the boat, knowing He's out there and He's on His way? Well, praise the Lord, that's just Jesus out there. He's coming towards us. No, where are the, where, where are the Peters that would say, Lord, I want to come out there. Lord, I want to walk on that water. Lord, I want to step out of my comfort zone. And I want to step into some risky situations because I want to get closer to you. Oh, maybe there's some lessons we can learn from silly old Peter. In fact, I think Peter teaches us three lessons about failure. Would you notice three lessons on failure tonight? First of all, Peter teaches us a lesson about desire. A lesson about desire. Or I guess we could put it this way. A lesson about want to. A lesson about want to. Notice this verse again in verse number 28. Verse number 28. It says that Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee, on the water. Now see, most of us uh, think Peter's uh, goal here is that Peter wants to walk on water, right? That Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, and so Peter's like, I want to walk on the water. And there's certainly some truth to that. We're going to get to it. But Peter is not just asking, Lord, can I walk on the water? No. His, his, his plea is conditioned by something. Did you see this? He said, Lord, if 
it be thou. Bid me come unto thee on the water. See, walking on the water was not what Peter wanted to do. Getting to Jesus is what Peter wanted to do. And if walking on the water was the means by which he got there, then so be it. The only thing that mattered to Peter, though, was, Lord, if that's you, if you are Jesus and you're walking on water, then I want to walk on water. I want to get closer to you. Now, something we miss here when we read our Bibles through, I don't know how to say it, but a Western worldview or an American lens is that we don't quite understand the type of relationship that Peter and Jesus had, okay? Uh, Peter is a, a student. He is a Talmudine in the Hebrew, what we translate as disciple in our Bible, but it means an apprentice. He is a, a, a student under Jesus. And Jesus, he's our Messiah, he's our Savior, and all that's great, and it's certainly wonderful, and we ought to recognize him as that. But as Jesus walked on the earth, he was also a rabbi which means that he was a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of Torah. Now, rabbis had Talmudin. Rabbis would have these apprentices that would study under them. And I've kind of always viewed the relationship as like teacher-student, but it goes much deeper than that. This was not something that the disciples came to every morning at 8 a.m. and left at 3 p.m. and went back to their lives. No, no, no. The relationship between the rabbi and the Talmudin was, was super personal and super intimate. In fact, it, it was a three to five year process where you would abandon everything and you would live with the rabbi. You'd sleep when the rabbi slept. You'd wake up when the rabbi woke up. You'd ate where the rabbi ate. You went wherever the rabbi went. And the goal wasn't just to pass his class. It wasn't certainly to get a degree so that you could go on and do bigger and better things. The, the goal wasn't just to know what the rabbi knew, although that was certainly part of it. But the goal was to become like the rabbi. They wanted to become just like Jesus, right? They, they wanted to be like him. In fact, Ray Vanderlaan, who is a Jewish Jesus follower, says that there is no system of education that is more personal or intimate than that between the Jewish rabbi and his Talmudin. As the rabbi lived and taught, the Talmudin would listen and watch, and then they would go out and imitate as if to become like the rabbi, right? So, so as Jesus is showing compassion on somebody, the disciples would go and show compassion on people. As Jesus loved, the disciples went and they wanted to love. They wanted to be just like Jesus. Okay, now, now I'm sitting there and I'm reading this stuff and I'm thinking, man, I wish there was something that I could identify with, right? And then I remembered a movie called Space Jam. Yeah, it came out when I was a little kid. It's got Bugs Bunny in it. It's about basketball. And, and, and Bugs is in trouble, you know. Looney Tunes are in trouble. The, the aliens have come down from Moron Mountain, and they are, they're going to take the Looney Tunes captive. Oh, no. And Bugs, you know, he's smart. He goes, hey, you've got to let us fight for our freedom. And so he says, uh, we're going to play a basketball game. You know, these little tiny aliens. Bugs is like, certainly we can beat them at basketball. But Bugs doesn't know that these aliens have this basketball that can absorb basketball talents and then give them the talents. And so these aliens go up and they, they take the talents of the NBA greats like Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and two other guys no one remembers. And, and they become the monsters. They become these huge alien basketball players. And Bugs is like, oh no, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? Well, lucky for Bugs, Michael Jordan is out playing golf. 
And so they go and they pull Michael Jordan down a golf hole and no one questions that at all. Like the two guys playing golf with Michael Jordan are like, oh, I guess he's going down the golf hole. And they just, not, nothing, that doesn't bother them at all. And they get down there and Michael's like, well, I can't play basketball for you guys. I'm retired. And they're like, yeah, but that was kind of a dumb decision. Michael, you should probably play basketball because you're no good at baseball. And so Michael agrees and he puts on the uniform, and the whole movie ends in this basketball matchup between the Monstars and the Toon Squad. And I'm watching this as a little kid, and my eyes are glued to the screen as I watch this guy named Michael Jordan do these basketball moves that are like only special effects could do, you know? And he's going behind his back and between his legs, between these alien monsters, and he dunks from half court to win the game. And I'm like, this guy is awesome. And then the movie ends and the credits roll. But instead of it just being the names of all the people who are in the movie or or actors of, of the voices, right? They show actual clips of Michael Jordan's career. So, so you're watching actual highlights of Michael Jordan play basketball. And I'm glued to the TV and I'm like, this guy's better in real life than he is in the movie. And I tell you, as a little kid, I would rewind that VHS tape over and over and over again. And I would just watch the end credits just watching those highlights. And I would watch them, and I'd pause it, and I'd go outside with my basketball, and I would try to perfect the moves. I'd try to dribble like Mike. I'd try to shoot like Mike. I'd try to drive to the basket and do an alley and and do a layup like Mike. And then I'd go back in, and I'd rewind it, and I'd watch, and I'd study my mistakes. I mean, that was my game tape, you know. I wanted to be just like Michael Jordan. And then something came out when I was a little bit older called YouTube. And you could actually Google Michael Jordan highlights. And before before YouTube got big, I mean, you could watch whole games of Michael Jordan with no ads, no interruptions. You just, I mean, I just sit there and watch Michael Jordan play basketball over and over and over again. And so, man, when I started playing basketball in elementary school, I I wore a sweatband right here. Why? Because Michael Jordan wore a sweatband right there. And I wore Michael Jordan's shoes. Why? Well, because I watched a commercial that said if you wanted to be like Mike, you had to wear his shoes. And so I was paying that $99.99 to buy those shoes, you know. And, and when they let me pick my number, you know what number I picked? I picked number number nine because they wouldn't let you do double digits. And so that was more to print it. So I had to pick number nine because that was Michael Jordan's Olympic number, you know. And I wanted to be just like Michael Jordan. Now, I know that's a silly illustration, but that's exactly the kind of relationship that the disciples had with Jesus. Like when we say that these guys worshipped Jesus, we mean it. They idolized him. They wanted to be just like Jesus. You say, yeah, I get that. I get they wanted to love like he loved, and that they certainly wanted to, to have compassion like he had compassion. But don't you think it's a little ridiculous here that Peter thinks he can walk on water? Like, you think, you think it's a little weird that Peter thinks he can do the miraculous like Jesus can? Well, I'm with you. But, but four chapters earlier, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out two by two, And the Bible says that that he enables them to cast out unclean spirits. He enables them to to cause blind men to see and lame men to walk. So Jesus has enabled these men to do miraculous things before. And so four chapters later, Peter's in that boat. And he's saying, Lord, if that's you, if that's my rabbi, I know you can enable me to get there. And if you're walking on the water, Jesus, then I want to walk on the water. Peter says, I want to be just like you. And can we stop for a second and just realize that this is what the whole Christian life is all about. 
The whole Christian life is about us wanting to become more like Jesus. You said, haven't you already talked about this in Sunday school? And haven't you talked about this last night? And didn't you talk about it in the morning service as well? Yeah, and guess what? I'm going to keep talking about it. You know why? Because that's what the whole Bible is about. The whole Bible is about getting us to see who Jesus is and then seeing us become more like him. The Bible says the Christians were called Christians first at Antioch. Well, what does the word Christian mean? It means little Christ, that they were imitators of Christ. Do you know what they were called before Christians? Well, the, the Bible says that Paul, Paul says that when he was Saul, he persecuted those that were followers of the way. Well, what does that mean? It meant they were living in the same way that Jesus lived. They were trying to live out the life that Jesus lived out. See, the, the, the disciples were very keen on following God's commands, his words, but they were even more keen on following his life, on following how he lived his life. And that's why John says in 1 John that if you say you abide in him, you ought also walk even as he hath walked. That's why Peter tells us that Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his steps, in the way that he lived. We ought to want to love like Jesus loved. We, we ought to want to have compassion like Jesus had compassion. We ought to want to forgive people like Jesus forgave people. We, 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 want to, we, we ought to want to have a relationship with God the Father like Jesus had a relationship with God the Father. We ought to want to live a life of self-sacrifice like Jesus was willing to live a life of self-sacrifice. And I submit to you tonight that the only reason we don't look more like Jesus is because we don't truly want to look like Jesus. Because if we're going to love people like Jesus loved people, we're going to have to love some people we don't want to love. And if we're going to have to have compassion on people like Jesus had compassion, it means we're going to have to get our hands dirty sometimes. And if we're going to forgive people as Jesus did, then that means we're going to have to forgive some people who hurt us, who, who, who did us wrong. And if we're going to have a relationship with God, like Jesus had a relationship with God, it means we're going to have to get rid of some idols in our lives. We're going to have to throw away some things that we're attached to. And if, if we're going to serve like Jesus served, well, that means we're going to have to serve. And we don't want to wash people's feet. We don't want to lay our lives down for the brethren. And so we're comfortable when preachers get up and say, hey, do one, two, and three and be right with God. Here's the action step plan for you to go do this and you'll be right with God. Listen, God's not giving us a to-do list tonight. He's not giving us a list of things to do. He's given us a person to become. And to become requires transformation. And transformation requires change. And change isn't easy. Change isn't comfortable. And so we're... We're much, we'd much rather just sit in the boat instead of step out of our comfort zone and say, God, if that's where you are, then that's where I want to be. Do you want it tonight? A want to, a desire to be like Jesus. Peter's not scared of failure because Peter's goal is not to succeed. Peter's goal is to be like Jesus. A lesson about desire. Would you know, secondly, a lesson about distractions? A lesson about distractions. So this is kind of where we jump to when we talk about this passage. Peter steps out of the boat. He's walking on the water, and then he falls, right? But, but let's read it, because I, I want to make sure we're, we're, we're catching everything here, because there's a very important phrase here at the end of verse number 28. Uh, sorry, at the end of verse number 29. It says, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Here's the phrase. To go to Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Okay, so I don't know how this all happened. I don't know if Peter, you know, he's in the boat and Jesus says, come. And Peter's just like, all right. You know, and he just jumps out, you know, maybe. I I don't know. But if it's me, I'm not jumping out of no boat. No, no, no. I've never been just a jump into the water kind of a guy. No, I want to test the water. I want to make sure it's not too cold for my feet, okay? You know, and so, so if I'm Peter and Jesus says, yeah, come on, Peter. First of all, I'm a little shocked he said yes. I was kind of hoping he'd be like, no, that's all right, Peter. It's, it's, it's really not worth it tonight, you know. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess he's calling me to go, you know. So, okay, here I go. I'm coming, okay. Ooh, it's cold, you know. It's a little cold tonight, you know. And all the other disciples were like, get out there, Peter. He said you could do it. Go. Come on, Peter. Go, go, go. Thomas in the back, he's going to sink. I've seen this kid swim. He's going straight to the bottom, you know. And, uh, and you know, John's trying to push him out. And Peter's like, well, why don't you do it, John? Aren't you the disciple that he loves, you know? By the way, have you ever thought that the only time that the Bible refers to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved are in the books that John writes? You ever notice that? Seems a little suspect to me, but anyways, that's not really a part of the message. But so Peter's in the boat. He's trying to fight off the, the pessimism of the disciples. He says, hey, get away from me. You know, and he says, okay, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming. Okay. Okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Let go of me, please. Go of me, John. (laughs) And he's walking on the water to go to Jesus. But the very next verse says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, see, he was perfectly fine. He was able to do the impossible when he had his eyes fixed on Christ. There was the moment he took his eyes off of Christ and put them on the wind and put them on the waves. That was when he began to fail. And my friends, perhaps the greatest lesson we can learn from Peter in this passage is that we will never be like Christ if we do not remain focused on Christ. So many times I've been willing to step out of the boat and I've seen God do some miracles and I've seen God do some work in my life and things are going great, but something along the way distracts me. And I start getting distracted. I get my eyes off Christ and I get distracted by the situations. I get distracted by my circumstances. I get, I get distracted by myself. And the next thing I know, I am gasping for air in the middle of the sea, feeling as if no one's there. And I swim back to shore and I sit on the sideline and I say, man, what was I thinking stepping out of the boat? What was I thinking trying to do that? I get distracted along the way. I tell you, I am, I am moved by passages like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You've got part of it up there. But Hebrews 12, 1 says, uh, seeing wherefore we are compassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That passage moves me because, first of all, it tells me I've got a race to run. It tells me that God has, has a purpose for my life. He's got a plan for why I'm here. And he tells me what the end goal is. The author and finisher of the race is Jesus. He's the one that we got to keep our eyes focused on. So as long as I'm pursuing Jesus, I'm running my race well. But if I'm going to run it to, to persevere, if I'm going to run it with patience, the Bible says i got to lay aside the weight 
and the sin that easily besets me. The weight would be those uh, good things in life that um, are not the best things in life. They're the things that, that are misplaced priorities, that, 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 that drag us down, that, that get our mind to, to drift off of what God wants us to do. And then those easily besetting sin, it could really be a different sin for every single one of us tonight. But it's that sin that trips us up every time. It's that sin that the devil knows, okay, he's getting a little too close. Let me just put this right there and he'll stumble over it every single time. And, and Hebrews tells us, listen, you lay aside that weight, you step over those sins, and you just run your race to Jesus. And I, man, I love that. I want to be a Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 Christian. I think Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a New Testament parallel to an Old Testament passage in Isaiah 26, verse number 3, that says, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because his heart hath trusted in thee. Now, the word stayed there in the Hebrew paints a picture of an anchor grafted into a rock. In other words, it's not just, it's not just holding on to the rock, but it is molded into the rock. And the idea is that your mind is so persuaded by Jesus, so persuaded by Jehovah, that there is nothing, there is nothing that can pull you away. No wind is going to tip your boat. No wind is going to knock you down. No wave is going to sink your ship. Nothing's going to separate you from the rock. Man, I, I love that. I want to be Isaiah 26, 3. I want to be Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But you know the truth tonight? I'm not. The things of this world do distract me. My mind does drift off the purpose. There are times that, man, the, the weights of this world really bog me down. And I found out there's a reason they're called easily besetting sins because they easily beset me they easily trip me up. And that's why I'm so thankful for Matthew chapter 14. See, I've always kind of, I've always kind of read this passage with a little bit of imagination. Perhaps you can tell. You know? And like Peter, he's walking on the water. And I don't know what it was because the Bible says that he saw the wind boisterous. Well, how do you see wind? You don't see wind. You see the effects of wind, you know. So I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what Peter saw. Maybe he saw a shark swimming in the, the distance, you know, or perhaps he saw a big trout fly up and smack his thigh, you know. I don't know what he saw, but something distracted him. And I kind of pictured it like he gets distracted and he sinks, you know, instantly drops down. He comes up and water's filling his lungs. And the disciples, you know, they're sitting in the boat. They're watching Peter with their mouths open like, go Peter. Yeah, go Peter, go Peter, you do it, Peter, go Peter, go Peter, go Peter, no Peter, no Peter, you know, and they're, they're trying to get the boat over to Peter, they're throwing out the life preservers, you know, they're trying to rescue their friend, and Peter's stinking, he's gasping for air, and Jesus, you know, Jesus is like circling around Peter, you know, like, you, you gonna call out for help? No, okay, all right, well, I'm right here, whenever you need me, oh, okay, okay, you're gonna die, okay, and then at the last moment, Peter's like, oh, Jesus! save me and Jesus is like oh whoo thought I was gonna lose you there Peter whoo let's stay in the boat next time all right buddy whoo that's gonna have always read the passage my question tonight is does the text allow me to read the passage that does the text give me an open interpretation to, to to paint the picture that way well read the verse again look at verse number 29 Verse 29 says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. 
and beginning to sink, comma, he cried saying, Lord, save me. So according to the text, when does Peter cry out for the Lord to save him? When he was beginning to sink. Peter does not fall down in the water, flail around for 10 minutes trying to save himself. No. The moment Peter began to sink was the moment Peter began to call. I like what one commentator he said. He said, Peter called on Jesus before his hair even touched the water. I like that. Because like I said so many times, I've stepped out of that boat and I've sunk and I've gotten distracted and I swim to the shoreline and I sit and I sulk in my failure. Oh God, what was I thinking? God, I can't do that. God, I'll never be like that. God, I'll never get over this. And God, I'll never find victory there. God, I can't, I can't do that. I'm a failure. Listen, your failure is not final. Don't let your failure define you. Listen, if Abraham would have let his failures define him, there'd be no nation of Israel today. If Moses would have been defined by his failures, the Israelites would still be enslaved to Egypt. Your failure does not define you. Be defined by your willingness to get back up. Proverbs says, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The verse goes on to say that same thing two more times. It says, a just man falleth seven times, but rises up again. The just man falls seven times, but rises up again. Three times in one verse. It's broken up by the statement that the wicked are not so, or the unrighteous do not do this. And so the difference in that proverb between the righteous and the unrighteous is not that one gets up, or, or and, sorry, not, not, not that one fails and the other doesn't fall. No, they both fail but only one is willing to get back up and keep going. Only one is willing to swipe off the failure and say, no, I'm not going to be defined by that. I want to be defined by my faithfulness to God. Um, I think of Hebrews 12 again, right? He says, wherefore seeing we are encompassed, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And what he's talking about, he's referring to the fact that there are people who have run their race before. They have run their race. They have done well. They have finished their course, right? And who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the hall of faith. All these people who were great men of faith. Well, well, here's the thing about the hall of faith. Every single person who mentioned messed up in a huge way. Like, like Like Samson is in the hall of faith. Samson? Samson's in the hall of faith? Yeah, because he refused to be defined by his failure and his failure and his failure and his failure. And he instead decided to be defined by his faith in God, that he could be what God wanted him to be. And I tell you, it's not about sitting and sulking in failure tonight. It's about getting up, wiping off the water and say, Lord, let's try that again. Lord, I want to keep on walking. Lord, I want to get closer to you and I'm going to fall. I'm going to trip because that's my human nature. That's my flesh. But Lord, by your grace, I want to get back up. I, want to, I don't want to be defined by my past. I want to be defined by my perseverance and your, and your presence leading me and guiding me to keep on going. I want to get closer to you. A lesson about distraction. Even in distraction, Peter teaches us a lesson. 
about how to get back up. Which leads us to our final lesson tonight. A lesson about development. A lesson about development. Because some people will still try to talk to me. And they'll say, well, Eric, I'm with you, but, but Peter's a failure. P- P- Peter, Peter messed up. The, Peter shouldn't have done this. Uh, because, because Peter says, Lord, bid me come. And you even said this. You, Peter wanted to get to Jesus, and he doesn't get to Jesus. He sinks. He gets distracted. He sinks, and so he's a failure. Okay, but in this moment, the, the, the current part of the story that we're in, who is the closest disciple to Jesus? not James. It's not John. It's not Bartholomew. It's Peter. His failure got him closer to Jesus. Which to me is not failure at all, but rather progress. Rather development. Rather God molding Peter into who he wanted him to be. Listen, I got to tell you, God is not looking for perfection tonight. He's looking for progress. He wants us to get a little bit closer today than we were yesterday. And a little bit closer the next day than we were that day. Step by step, growing closer to Jesus. And so this is not failure. This is a part of Peter's journey into becoming who God was making Peter to be. Like, if you want to convince me that Peter's a failure, don't go to this chapter. Go, like, there's chapters in the Bible where Peter fails. In fact, look no further than John's gospel, where Peter is warming his hands by the fire as Jesus is being tried in Caiaphas's court. He's outside in the courtyard warming his hands by the fire, and he denies that he even knew the Lord three times. That's failure. Like, he, he, he forsakes his rabbi. This guy that he idolized and worshipped, now he's saying, I don't know that guy. I I would never want to be like him. And Peter, he's so rejected by this that he goes back fishing. You know this story? Oh man, this story. Pastor, there's just certain stories in the Bible that when you get it, when you get the whole picture of it, like the whole context of everything that's going on in the passage, it will just blow your mind. And this is one of those passages for me. And I don't know if I can blow your mind with it tonight, but I am going to try <laughs> because Peter, he's out on the boat fishing again and he's had a bad night fishing, kind of like another night he's had in his life, right? And he hears a resurrected Savior call out to him, hey, Peter, cast your net on the other side. Now it's important to note that Peter's been here before, right? Like this story's already happened in scripture. This is deja vu for Peter. And you know what that story is? It's the moment Peter gets called into the Talmudine. So this is a whole retelling of Peter being called to be a disciple of Jesus. And the reason that's important is because that's exactly what's taking place a second time. Peter is being invited back into the discipleship even after his massive failure. And I love it because it's a retelling of the story. And where is the story being told? On the Sea of Galilee, the very sea that Peter has walked on. 
And Peter, you tell me, you don't tell me he wasn't thinking about walking on that water in that passage. He jumps out of the boat. He starts running on the water. I mean, he falls. He starts swimming to shore, but he rushes towards the shoreline. He, in other words, he's thinking, yeah, I remember. I fell and I got back up. God was still there. God is molding me. God can take failures. And so, man, he jumps to the shoreline. Yes, I want to be in the Talmudian. I want to be a disciple. And he sits around a fire. Well, what do you think instantly? What, what do you think a fire reminded Peter of? The fire he betrayed Christ around. And so now Peter is eating Chick-fil-A that the Lord made around a fire that's reminding him of the worst moment of his life. And he's sitting there eating that sandwich. And the Lord looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, he says, yeah, you know I love you. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. So obviously Jesus owned a few sheep that he wanted Peter to take care of after he went to... No, Peter, Jesus doesn't own sheep. This isn't about a, a becoming a shepherd. This is about being used of God. This is about saying, this is God saying, Peter, I still have a huge plan for you. I have, a, I have something huge for you to accomplish and I need you to understand. Get back up, Peter. This is God saying, hey, Peter, get back up. Get your mind off of the failure. Don't be defined by it, Peter. Don't let that failure define you. And I don't know what Peter does, but I think he shakes his head. I think he goes, I messed up. I, I can't do it. And Jesus looks at him and says the second time, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, Lord, you, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, a third time. Peter, do you love me? I mean, come on, folks. He denies him three times around a fire. He's asked by God three times around a fire to come back. And if you love me and I still got a purpose for you. I mean, come on, mind blown. This is just unbelievable. And Peter is restored into the fellowship of the disciples. And it's Peter who stands up at Pentecost and preaches and 3,000 are saved, baptized, and added to the church. It is Peter who gets the Cornelius vision from God, which tells him that not all people are unclean as certain animals were unclean to the Jewish people and he goes over and he witnesses the, the fellowship that these Gentiles have with Jesus and it moves him so much that he comes back and at the Jerusalem council where the early church is trying to decide whether to allow Gentiles into the fellowship or not it is Peter who stands up against the other disciples who stands with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and say no 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 these people can receive Christ in other words, it's because of Peter that you and I have the gospel today. My friends, the whole point of the story is, is that God's got a purpose for your life and it will never come true if you quit in your failure. You've got to be willing to get back up. Listen, failure is a part of the journey of becoming who God wants you to be. So get back up tonight. He's asking you, listen, do, do you love me? Do you still want it? Because if you still want it, then I still want it. And I want to mold you. I want to make you into who you are meant to be by me. By my spirit, we can do it. So get back up. Don't be defined by the failure. Now, I've got I've to I've talk about the words Jesus says to Peter on the, on the water that night. Because people use these words and they, they try to make it say what they want it to say. Like, Peter, you're just this big failure. So, 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 so look at this. Jesus catches him and said, this is verse 31, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? 
Now, we normally read that like, oh, Peter, oh, you got such little faith, Peter. Oh, such little, tiny, little faith. Oh, Peter, are you ever going to get this? Right? Kind of like my mom with my spelling test, right? Like, come on, Eric. It's cat, C-A-T. Come on. It's not that hard. <laughs> or penmanship. Oh, man. There's a reason I don't look at my notes. I can't read them. Okay. <laughs> man. And so, man, I mean, that's how we read this passage. But let's just ask this question. Is little faith no faith? It's little faith, right? Like, Jesus does not say, oh, Peter, how you just, you just lack faith. You just have no faith, Peter. I don't know. And by the way, God has no problem telling his disciples they don't have faith. We, we see it multiple times in Scripture. But he says you have little faith. Okay, so, so let's focus on this little faith. Is little faith bad faith? Oh, let's put it this way. Is little faith weak faith? Because we tend to think of it that way, right? Like, it's, oh, little, it's weak, it's insignificant, it's, it's small, it's just a little bit of faith. Okay, but in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is talking with his disciples after he preached a message about forgiveness. And they come to him and they say, Lord, increase our faith. Like, Lord, if you want us to forgive like that, you're going to have to increase our faith. And Jesus looks to his disciples and says, you don't have faith. Like, essentially, that's what he says. He says, if you had faith, he says, if you had faith, implying that they didn't have faith, he says, if you had faith, even the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you'd say to that sycamore tree, be uprooted, and, and it would obey you. In Matthew's account of the same passage, he says, you'd say to that mountain, move, and it would move. Okay, well, this grain of a mustard seed must be a really big seed then, right? No, no, it's not. In fact, the grain of a mustard seed is microscopic. It is so small you can't even see it if it's in the palm of your hand. It is tiny. It is insignificant. It is, dare I even say, little tonight. And Jesus says, if you've got little faith, you've got tree uprooting and replanting faith. You've got mountain moving kind of faith. You've got walk on water kind of faith. My friends, if that's little faith, Lord, I need little faith. Oh, would to God that we would just get some little faith tonight. Oh, what God could do with this church if we all just had a little ounce of faith and what he could do in Champaign, Illinois. Oh, he says, wherefore didst you doubt, Peter? He says, you were doing it. You were, you, you, were, you were experiencing little faith. See, it's not about the size of your faith. It never has been. It's about the source of your faith. Who is your faith rooted in? And Jesus says, you put just a little bit of faith in me and watch what I can do. Because he says, man, where did you doubt, Peter? Now, now Peter's not doubting God here. Like, like, Peter knows God can help him walk on water. Peter is doubting his ability to be used by God to walk on water. In other words, Peter's walking on that water and he's going, who am I? Like, that God's using me. Like, I'm just a, I'm just a fisherman. I'm a failure. I, I didn't pass any of my classes. I got kicked out of the schools. I'm a nobody. God can't use me to, to be used of him. My friends, we've got to dispel the doubt that God can't use us. We have to grow some faith tonight. And it just needs to be a little bit of faith that God is bigger than 
us that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things because they put their faith in him and you read through the bible and you'll see failure after failure after failure an insignificant person after insignificant person after insignificant person be used by god in significant ways why because it's not about the person it's about putting a little bit of faith in who god is and believing that he can do it we've got to get rid of this doubt that well we're just a small little country church in champaign illinois what difference can we make in the world well, I mean, we couldn't even afford Domino's tonight. We had to get Little Caesars, you know. I mean, come on. God can't use us. No. Get off the doubt. Start putting some faith in who God is and what God wants to do. Um, my son, Logan, he's got Down syndrome. We mentioned that last night. And, and because of that, he has low muscle tone. And uh, I don't know what, what degree of low muscle tone Logan had. I mean, it can vary in, in children with Down syndrome. But, but, but Logan, Logan had, 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 had just really low, like, like you, you'd pick him up and he would just be like this, like just completely floppy. And uh, uh, we, we've been told, we, we've read, we've researched that it takes a child with Down syndrome, it, it, it takes them, they have to work about 10 times harder to put on muscle than you or I would have to put on, uh, what it would have to work to put on muscle. Well, when we read that, we realized how significant it was every time Logan would even like lift his head, like it was taking an extreme amount of effort for him to do that. And so like with Mason, we, 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 we remember big milestones, like he crawled, he walked, he ran. He's using the restroom on his own. Great. You know, like the big milestones. With, with Logan, we remember like the little tiny milestones. Like he lifted his head, you know, for the first time, you know. And like whenever he would do something like that, we would just celebrate hard. Like we'd go get ice cream. We would just be like, yeah, you're doing it. You're like, yeah, yeah, go Logan. You know, like we would just cheer him on, you know, like because we wanted him to be encouraged to keep, to keep working. And we realized how significant it was. And so when it came to him learning how to walk, we kind of read a bunch of things. It may take a long time. Might take, may, might walk by one. Well, our Mason didn't really even walk into like almost one. And so we're like, he's probably not going to walk by one. And so we didn't really have any expectation, but it was our hope that he would kind of be crawling by one, you know. And he started crawling just after he turned one. And when that, when that happened, when he was starting to like, you know, move around the ground, I remember just thinking, well, maybe he'll be walking by two, you know. And uh, we started, you know, praying to that end and working towards the end. Like, yeah, he'll be walking by two, hopefully, you know. Well, it was like a few months later that I walk into a room and Logan is in the middle of the room. There's nothing around him. He's just in the middle of the room and he's standing all on his own, standing. And I'm just looking at him I'm like, uh, Alexa, come here a second. And she comes in the other side of the room and she looks at him and she goes, how did he get like that? And I said, I don't know. I thought you put him like that. She goes, I didn't put him like that. And so I went over to him and I knocked him over, you know. <laughs> you stand when I tell you to stand, kid, you know. Like, you know, just be standing on your own. I knocked him over and then, I, and then I watched. And Logan, he just got right back up. And I'm like, he's going to start walking soon. Like, like he's going to be walking before too. Nope, he didn't start walking. Nope, he just stood in the middle of rooms looking like a creep, you know. Like, it was scary. He'd be terrified. You walk into a room and you're like, oh, oh, it's just Logan. Okay. Well, he's just standing in the room. And so it's kind of annoying, you know, because you're like, come on, walk, kid. You know, you don't just stand there. And so, you know, you start, you start motioning to him. Like, come on, Logan, like, lift up that leg and let's, let's go. And so Logan, the little nerd, you know, he's sitting there and he, he would start doing this. It was like he was stuck in the first verse of Father Abraham or something, you know. And you're just like, come on, Logan, walk, you know. 
And so I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, looking at my phone, and, and Logan is sitting, is standing in the middle of the room, and he's doing Father Abraham, you know, and, and, and I look at him, and I say, Logan, come on, man, walk. I said, Logan, do you want my phone? Logan likes to get on our phone and just kind of, you know, act like he knows what he's doing. So, Logan, do, do you want my phone? And Logan, he stopped Father Abraham, and he looks at me, and he goes, eh. And I said, nah, like, you get over here, buddy. And Logan looks at me with those wide eyes. He goes, huh? And he falls flat on his face. I mean, he's just flat on his face. Well, I felt so bad. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get his hands down or nothing. I mean, his, his, his face just hit the carpet. I'm like, oh, no, he's going to start crying. Lex is going to come down the stairs. I'm going to have to explain Mason knocked him over, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, this is not going to be good. And so, so I, I'm running. I'm, I'm trying to get up and get towards him, you know, before he can cry, you know. And so I'm getting up. And before I can even get out of the couch, he pops up. He's just kind of like, he's looking around. And he looks at me. And he goes, <laughs> And he stands back up, and he reaches out his hand. He says, eh? I sit back down. Yeah, Logan, come on. Let's try again. Logan looks at me. And he falls on his face again. Yeah, 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 second time. And I'm like, oh, no, here it is. He's gonna, here come the tears. And I get up, and before I can even get over there, he pops up. <laughs> then he stands back up. And a third time, fell on his face. And a fourth time, fell on his face. And a fifth time, fell on his face. And every time, I'm like, oh, no, he's going to cry. Oh, no, Alexa, don't come downstairs yet. And she, he pops up. Look, <laughs> every time, never cried, never done. After, like, the eighth time, I, like, was like, let's stop. You know, what good is it if you can walk if you're brain dead, you know? Like, let's just, let's take a break a little bit. You got a big red mark. There's going to be some questions asked, you know? Like, let's just take a break. And after a few days, we tried again and again. And I'll never forget, Logan, looking at me. And taking that step. And then falling on his face, you know? And he got one step and he fell down. And he got two steps and he fell down. And he got three steps and he fell down. And every time I just, I was waiting for the tears. I was waiting for the frustration to build and just him saying, no, I'm not doing that anymore. But every time he'd pop up, look, <laughs> and he'd get back up to try again. Man, that day that he made it to me and fell into my arms and got that phone as he sat on my lap and just, just scrolled up and down and looked up at me. <laughs> I made it. I did it. I got there. I didn't fall down. I made it. I went through the process to get to you. Why? Because you had something I wanted. And if, if walking was the process in which it took, and it fallen on my face over and over again was the process in which it took, well then, yeah, I'm going to delight in that process. I'm not going to grow frustrated with it. I'm going to keep going. And I tell you, Logan's resiliency taught me a lesson that day. Because I say I want to run the race that God set for me to run. But how many times have I tried to run before I really even learned to walk with God? And you walk with God one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And are there times you misstep and you fall down? Absolutely. But it's in those moments that you don't quit and you don't cry and you don't get frustrated. No, you sit up and you look around and you take note of what knocked you down.
You take note of what tripped you up. But then you look up and you smile and you delight in the fact that your God is still standing with his arm extended, reaching up to pull, reaching to pull you up out of that water and say, come on, take another step. You're getting closer. You're getting closer. You're almost there. Tonight, may we learn some lessons on failure. May we learn to walk with God the hard way. One step at a time. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are a God who delights in our wanting and our willingness to be like you. And Lord, uh, this passage convicts me tonight. Because I don't know if I have the I don't know if I have the courage to step out of the boat. Lord, there are times in my life where I've been Peter and I've gotten out on the water and I've felt. But Lord, there are a lot more times when I've been James who's just sat in the boat. And I'm just I've just been content just to wait for you to come. Lord, I pray that tonight we would we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone, that we'd be willing to perhaps do something hard tonight because that's where you're at and that's where you're calling us to. And God, we want to be closer to you. Lord, would you, would you teach us to walk with you tonight with patience, with endurance. Lord, may, may we get back up. May we not be defined by our mistakes and our failures, May we, def may, may we be defined by your faithfulness and us putting just a little bit of faith in you. May we, may we show some fight tonight in getting closer to you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Uh, I'll have the piano begin to play. And um, if the Lord spoke in your heart tonight, I invite you to come. I invite you to do some business with God.